Hello and welcome to Lead Tale TV. I'm your host, Brian Kramer, keynote speaker, coach of coaches, and author of HDH Human Human. Today's guest is Christina Elwood, principal at Moreland Associates and interim marketing executive at multiple companies. In this episode, we talk about how her science and research background informed her later on as a marketing executive in those roles. What is the latest in AI and how will it help marketers utilize its best foot forward as we move forward as marketers? And finally, what does an interim marketing role look like, along with some really effective strategies on how to hit the ground running? So let's get into it. Here's my interview with Christina Elwood. I am super curious. I know everybody listening is super curious to just know a little bit about about you. Why don't you give us just a, a you know, we're standing in an elevator. We have 30 floors. What would you say about yourself? Oh, I would say that my passion is really helping to take ideas from a simple concept to a powerful reality. And one way I do that is in working with young technology companies to bring innovations to market and build traction in the marketplace. So those are really the things that drive me. Uh, well, um, uh, getting traction in anything these days is is definitely a uh, a challenge. Whether whether what what no matter what role you're in, and so I'm I'm super curious to dive in and and learn more about that. Um, and let's go let's go back. Let's start back in the past. And 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 I saw on your LinkedIn page that it showed that you worked for uh, several years at Kevex Instruments as a manager. How did how did that go and how did that inform your later career moves and and value added and transformation and all the good stuff that came with it yeah yeah well um, i'm a scientist by education and uh kevex is a scientific instrumentation company and i had the privilege as an undergraduate of doing research under a professor who happened to buy a kevex instrument while i was there so i got trained in the instrument and that led to the opportunity for me to work for the company So we were in a wide range of um, markets, which was really helpful coming out of school to work with scientists in many industries and to help them to uh, answer very important questions. I then uh, was recruited into younger and younger and younger companies until I realized that actually (laughs) that's where I have the most value to bring because you need uh, an integrated approach, a multidisciplinary approach. You need to be able to think about things in a more complex context. And I love doing that. So taking innovations into new markets um, where they are not understood or known and where the value proposition is uh, is not well established. Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So I'm super curious how you went from scientist to marketer, marketing and how, how that right brain, left brain uh, both uh, helped you in the, tra- like how did your scientist inform the marketer and, and what was that transition like for you? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. So um, it was really through product management. So product management is a technical role where you're not actually doing the implementation of the technology, but you need to be able to understand the technology and the decisions that need to be taken for the use case in order to, to lead the, um, the, the effort on the, on the product development. So product management then led to product marketing, then from product marketing, moving really up the, the ladder into more senior level positions um, as more of a business person. So that was the path. I would recommend that path because if you do not understand the uh, issues at the technical level for a product-led company, especially a venture-funded product-led company, 
you really can't make good business decisions um, at the senior level. So I do recommend that as a, as a background. I also have a little bit of a sales background, which we don't like to tell people, but the truth is um, having sales experience makes you a much better marketer. So when I'm recruiting marketers in, I'm looking for people who have foundationally a technical background, who have some product experience, preferably who have done some sales, and who think like a business person. Because to my mind, marketing is the center of the hub of a product-led company. On its right hand is sales. On its left hand is engineering and product. Above it is the corporate requirements, things like the website and PR, and below it is operational requirements. So marketing has a multidisciplinary role serving many uh, groups within the organization. And if you do not think about the business first and foremost and the, uh, the, how that business is serving the buyer, you can't make good decisions about anything in marketing. Yeah, that is for sure. Um, and I love the way that you describe that um, with the, the marketing at the, at the center. Would you also say that that would be the customer? Um, that the customer is at the center or that's informing marketing? Is that, is that kind of what you're leaning towards? In fact, in, yes. In fact, I would actually go take a, a, a moment to talk about another common question in the area of marketing for um, venture-funded startups. And that's how do you align sales and marketing? And really, it's through the buyer. If you focus on the buyer, you will always be able to align any of the groups in the company, but especially sales and marketing. So where they tend to get across purposes is where they're talking about the service that marketing is doing for sales and whether that's working for them. So are we really giving you quality leads and whether sales is acting on those leads and that interface right there. So all relationship problems, whether it's inside a company or outside of a company, happen at the interfaces. They do not happen in the, in the flow. They happen at the interfaces of the flow. And that's true in this case as well. So if we focus on the buyer and say, what is the buyer's experience when they have raised their hand in some way that they're interested in engaging with the company and sales does not respond? What is that buyer's experience? Is that what we want them to have? And if it's not, then what are we going to do about that? What is the buyer's experience when they're really not ready to talk to sales and engage with sales and they get a call from a salesperson? Is that the experience we want them to have? How can we improve both of those? And how can we measure what's working in a way that makes sense to both organizations. Um, and, and actually, there's a, a newer model out that I have found extremely valuable. It's called the measurable lead model, and it was developed by Marco Savic at um, Funnel Cake Up in KW in, in Kitchener-Waterloo, Canada. And it really simplifies the, the whole funnel um, representation and conversation. And it has a very key element to it that is not in any funnel that I've worked with, uh, which is the notion of using nurture to recycle leads back into the top of the funnel and measuring those and the service level agreement and velocity of those leads separately from the velocity of the, of the first time through leads. I think those two components, the simplified um, model um, that allows sales and marketing to align very easily uh, and the notion of using nurture for recycling leads um, in a structured way based basically on the reason they fell out of the funnel in the first place, whether that was in early stages or in the late stages and nurturing them to overcome those obstacles. Those two um, improvements have really changed the way um, I see sales and marketing working together. And so I highly recommend anyone who's concerned about that issue uh, that they look at that and consider um, adopting that model, at, at least for the point of conversation. You don't actually have to implement it to use it as a point of conversation about where we could be doing better together. 
Mm. So um, I love that. I've heard of funnel cake. So the idea then is to take uh, your existing leads that are all warmed up and bring them back up to the top and and put them through as if they're um, they're they're just coming through for the first time, rather than treating them that, like they're warm leads. Yeah, yeah. So the ones at the very top of the funnel, you would call warm that fell out for one reason or another. Um, but I would actually argue that leads that get all the way into the buying process and have get reached the late stage, maybe even they decided to buy a competitor, that that, that closed lost reason still needs to be nurtured because they may regret the buying decision. It may not actually meet their needs and you can bring them back into the top of the funnel to re-engage with them and sell to them. So no matter where they fall out, if they fall out at the, at the top, very top of the funnel, at the first working stage with the salesperson, or they fall out at you know deeper sort of mid funnel, or they fall out at the end. In every case, you want to treat them as you've invested in, first of all, they invested. Very importantly, they invested their time and their effort to understand what it is that you do and how it applies to their business. You've invested as well. And for whatever reason they didn't buy, maybe the product didn't quite do what they needed at the time. It didn't integrate with their system or something, or they didn't have but enough budget. They, they didn't realize it was, it cost what it does, or they lost their champion or whatever the reason is. Mm. You want to then nurture them against that reason to bring them back in. Now I can tell you with the company, the SaaS company I'm working with today, Procurify, when they have leads come back into the funnel, they have a much faster velocity through the funnel and they have a much higher close rate. Not surprising because buyer has been educated and you have uh, you know, been able to represent to them before. Now you are able to overcome whatever their limitation was at that time. So it's not a surprise, but it is um, surprising to me how few companies actually do that in a structured way. Oh, that's great. I could talk to you about that all day long. Um, it's one of my favorite <laughs> topics, but I do want to make sure that we move this along and I'm going to pivot just a little bit into artificial intelligence, which I know is um, uh, something that, that is, uh, you know, a common buzzword these days. Uh, but I'm, cur- I'm curious where you think it fits um, in where AI fits belong- and, and where it belongs, especially in automation and in different areas and what you're studying and what you're doing with that. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's, an, it's, it's coming, whether we like it or not. It's coming, it's for coming. sure. Well, well, true artificial intelligence um, is, is still a ways away, um, you know, really making decisions similar to the way a human would make a decision. But we have some pretty damn smart systems that are built on, um, you know, combining multiple strategies um, and, and layers of um, artificial intelligence uh, methods like machine learning. Um, so it's... Um, in the automation world, it's essential uh, to have systems that are capable of improving over time uh, using their own data uh, for automation. So whether you're automating uh, an, a line or you're automating a robot that is a part of a, a line or you're automating, um, a sem- let's say, semi-automating a process uh, where a, a human is augmented by the technology, like a, a doctor doing remote surgery, for example. All of those systems need to learn from the data of what has gone before in order to improve them and in order to provide um, a more accurate or more precise outcome. Um, In a more pedestrian area, when you instrument a physical environment, like put sensors into a physical space or into equipment so that you can monitor their health, uh, you want to be able to get smarter and smarter about what tells you that this pump is going to fail or that this compressor is going to fail. Uh, or this freezer is going to fail. 
Um, and that requires a large body of data and then some analytics. The analytics techniques exist, but collecting the data is another story. We need more data that is standardized in order to really take advantage of the data. So how is the pump being used in this use case behaving differently than in a different use case with the same number of hours of data, right? So there's just a lot of decisions that, that we could be making that we're limited to by not having the contextual information about the data and not knowing which contextual information is most important. So there's a lot more work for us to do before we're really gonna live in a, in a truly automated world, but we can live in a smarter and smarter and smarter world. One of the companies that I advise is in the digital health space and they use uh, your own health data, your own um, you know, blood pressure, uh, glycemic uh, measures and things like that. Uh, in order to make help coach you to manage your chronic disease better. And that's another example of using data and analytics to um, improve outcomes, but it's not doing the thinking for you. It's providing you the information about what the data is telling you could improve your outcomes. And that data is substantiated, but it is not the same as a thinking robot. <laughs> it's very different than I know, I know, I know uh, a little bit about automation, obviously not into the AI realm uh, personally, only because I tried to set up a um, automated system here in my house by putting um, all my smart light bulbs around my house. And then I tied it to my phone so that my, um, my, it was GPS uh, geofenced so that when mm -hmm. I left my house, the lights would turn off. And then when I came home, the lights would turn on. The problem is that when I drove away uh, to go to the store, my whole family was still home. And so uh, they were out of out of lights, and so I got a call quickly from my wife. Come back, <laughs> you need to come back. And That's I right. know this is like a small override, you know, uh, micro micro chasm of of like what's of, of a user um, you know user error. But it it feels like until like it's it's seamless, like it it um, you know really like automation really is. Um, uh, thought well thought out. And like you said, using the data to understand his family's still at home. <laughs> right. It's all about context, right? So what you did um, is, uh, which is the most common way of automating anything, which is to use rules. Mm -hmm. If it's this time of day, do this. If I'm within the geofence, do that. If it's, so you set some rules. That's a starting point that is true for pretty much every automated system. Then what you want to do is use the contextual data next to say, well, if it's this time of day and I'm in the geofence and then do this thing, right? So more, in fact, did you do, did you use IFT? Did you use IFTTT? I yeah. you know I didn't use it for this, but I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a good example of a system that lets you do that. So really what that is, is a set of rules where you bring the context to the party. You're the one who knows context. Then you move on to the system understands the context. So it learns the light, you know, it's light outside or whatever. And then you move on from there to um, learning more and more complex things, not just the context, um, but, uh, but multiple sets of contexts that can be used in harmony. And then you move into a decision mode where you're able to provide more complex decision-making and then you move into truly artificial intelligence mode, which I, I won't describe it accurately, but it's basically the concept that the machine is always learning what is 
or, or is able to make decisions based on things beyond what it has learned. It's able to um, anticipate, if you will. Um, so those, all of those layers are things that you, we are experiencing in our everyday life today. We all have things that happen on our phones, for example, that are somewhat contextual. Maybe, maybe your blue light filter comes on based on time of day, right? Or in your case, you used um, devices, IoT type devices, Internet of Things type devices to program them based on a set of rules. So that's kind of the state of where we are today at the consumer level. In the in the business to business world, it's a little more sophisticated. We've got some you know some more um, uh, implementations uh, that are more sophisticated, but they're also more complex. Mm-hmm. So the number of things you have to get right is higher. So it's a fascinating area and one that we are going to see more and more. Um, this uh, situation with um, COVID is putting manufacturers in a position of having to really rethink how they are using automation, where they are using automation, and what those rule sets really look like, and and what can we learn from our data about how to automate better. Mm, It's fascinating. I love it. I'm. I'm also curious because in recent years you've you've moved into more of a consulting and interim uh, role uh, or roles, and I'm 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 curious what what you found to be most effective in in switching up uh, strategy through um, back into into the marketing realm um, away from the uh, the AI realm, if you will, um, <laughs> switching up strategies through marketing to boost uh, more traction and business opportunities. I know that's an area that you're really focused on. We started out talking about traction. Um, how is that, how's that something that, um, that you see changing and, and how are you applying that? Well, it's changed quite a bit since we've had the pandemic. <laughs> that was a pretty abrupt change. How do you create traction in a market that is uncertain and unknown and depressed and evolving in a, in a, non-linear fashion. So let's just say the rules for engagement have changed considerably. But in general, when I drop into a interim role, there is a some uh, goal in front of the company that led them to feel they needed to have someone in that uh, uh, role. Either they've pivoted or they've realized that the um, challenge in front of them for scaling is not, is not something that um, their current person is has enough experience doing, or they are... Uh, looking for an exit and they need to be able to uh, establish some strategic partner relationships and feed those at the same time as growing in the market. They have some kind of strategic challenge in front of them that they feel they need a particular combination of skills to go after. So oftentimes I'm in a, I'm coming into a situation where the technology is new to me, um, but the challenge that they have in the, um, the business challenge they have is familiar. So um, the first thing that I tend to do is just, you know, to get my legs under me is to understand what's working and not working today. Um, And then looking at the team, who has the skills that we need uh, to deploy, to improve or what outcomes we're trying to, uh, to gain and adding whatever tools or support that they need in order to be able to do that or bringing in talent from the outside. So those are sort of common. Those are things that you do even when you get hired into a role. That's not that different. Um, But there's a big component of um, strategy and education of the team itself to talk about, here's what I see is certainly something that anyone coming into an organization would do, but to say, here are the things that will, uh, will be necessary to have the outcome you're looking for. That is not always something that the team feels confident that they know and understand. 
Um, and here's what I have seen in other situations that we might anticipate could be a challenge for us. Again, not something they may have ever experienced before, so they don't necessarily know what to anticipate there. Um, and then finally, uh, what is the order of operations? What is the highest impact thing that we can do first and then second and then third as a team, as a coordinated team? They tend to think that when you come in in this marketing role that you're going to do things in marketing only. But of course, marketing is integrated across the company, as we discussed earlier. So it's necessary to prioritize that work across the organization and not just from the lens of demand gen or the lens of awareness. So does that give you sort of a sense of how it's a little different than being hired in um, to an organization? Oh my gosh, yes. And what I love about that is that you're talk, you're really leaning into that it's not just, well, you're leaning into the integrated approach. And, and what, what's landing for me is that there's a lot of leadership uh, values coming into place here in, in terms of how you put um, things in place that structure and, and impact. So people can see how they make an impact across the organization rather than just in a department. Um, and so have you seen, so uh, is that something that you're instilling as, or, or even even assessing as how, how is leadership now and how does leadership need to be um, as part of that marketing role and a part of the interim role and, and how you can make an impact on the organization? Yeah, I think, I think every leader coming into an organization has an impact on how the leadership, the leadership of the organization operates and what the overall um, capacity is for the organization to align behind a goal. So someone who comes in who's very collaborative and alignment oriented, who, who zeroes in on that business challenge, tends to pull people towards them. Um, and someone who is, is trying to set a new goal, because maybe that's where the challenge is, is that you need to set a, a, a new um, horizon, uh, then collaborating around what does that new horizon look like and what do we have to do to change to get there um, is, a, is a, a, a different challenge, but often one that is led by whoever is the newest leader in the team. It isn't always marketing, but marketing is always a change agent in every organization. The first thing that has to change when there is a change in the business is marketing. So in the downturn, we needed to decide how are we going to continue to get uh, uh, leads into the business, for example. Where is the demand now? How do we communicate with the, uh, the buyers? How do we, in this case, how do we show compassion and empathy? How do we understand what their needs are today that are different than what they were yesterday? And how do we uh, address those needs? That's all done in marketing. If you are, uh, if you just raised funding, for example, that's another time when um, I might be brought in as an interim because they just raised funding. Okay, so now we need to scale. What exactly does that mean that <laughs> we need to scale? And what are all the areas that we need to scale? And one of the first things we need to do is change how we are talking about our product in the marketplace because we've been selling maybe to a segment. Maybe we now have a beachhead, but we need to expand beyond that. So that's a marketing change. So no matter what change, even a downsizing, no matter what change you go through as an organization, marketing's on the front lines of not only implementing that change, but leading the change in the organization. So in that sense, marketing is a, like the right hand of the CEO in helping to bring change about in the organization. And so it is a role where um, it's important that there be a high level of trust and a high level of respect across the leadership team. And where you see 
difficulty in uh, organizations moving smoothly forward is when they do not have good alignment and trust across the, the leadership team. And marketing is often the first one to detect that in, in its sort of pure form because it sits in the middle, right? So it's affected by any tension in the leadership organization. So, Wow. I want to hug you right now. <laughs> You're so speaking. I would like you to hug me right now, to be honest with you. The hugs are a little short supply these days. <laughs> I do miss, I do miss hugs. Um, yes, I do. You're, you're so, you're so speaking my language. I'm, I'm, um, I love, I love hearing this um, as a leadership and, and marketing guy. I, I, um, you know, I couldn't, couldn't agree more that it, when it comes together and, and when it aligns with trust, you know, across the organization, there's just, and, and then again, back to the customer, um, it really, <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. It's, yeah. it's so, uh, you, it's so well put. I, I love, I love how you just described all that. Um, let's end with this. Um, I'd love to, um, just kind of take a, a little peek into where we are now. Um, without a doubt, one of the phrases most associated with you and, and your endorsements is focused. Um, and in today's increasingly remote work environment that we're all going through, given the global pandemic, how do you find the best way to stay focused and align efforts as a leader? And even in the interim roles you're taking on, what, what, are, you, um, what are you seeing there? So um, focus is a, a mental discipline. So you choose where, what you focus on. And it's the truth. Of all humans, we all choose what we focus on. And what we focus on tends to be what our brain works on, where it, where it create, applies creative or, or um, analytical power. So focus in many ways is everything. Um, and with a team, where the leader focuses is where the team will focus. Sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly. So directly, if you are focused on, for example, the metrics or the um, speed of delivery or something like that, well, then everybody in your team will be focused on that too. But indirectly, if you're focused on whether or not the team is working well together, they'll pick up that too. And that will be part of the unconscious or subconscious um, focus of the team. They'll start thinking about whether they are collaborating as well as they could possibly be collaborating. So what you focus on determines what you accomplish. It determines what your organization is aligned to. And it determines ultimately what outcomes are possible. So for me, focus is really important. And I picked up on one word you said earlier that um, I, I believe fits in as well into all that, and that's empathy. Um, given what's going on in the world right now, um, empathy for our customers, empathy for our, uh, you know uh, the employees, empathy across the board couldn't be more needed than than now. So, I agree with that. I agree with that. And you know, when people are working together, uh, the the um, in business, the fundamental currency of business is trust. In a collaborating team you have to couple that trust with compassion and empathy. If you do not care about each other, if you do not care about the group you're serving, in this case, the buyers, or perhaps you're also serving an internal organization like sales, if you're doing some sales enablement work, if you do not have compassion and empathy for them and for each other, collaboration is really more about shared tasks and not about collaborating at all. So to have collaboration, you have to have um, compassion and empathy it creates an environment where people can be creative and where they can be 
they can take risks and they can be innovative. And those things are very important to amplifying the outcomes that we're looking for, that you don't just get the job done, but you contribute more than just getting the job done. Hi, everybody. Spencer here on the Leadtail team. We want to thank Christina Elwood for being our guest on the show today. If you'd like to continue the conversation, tweet us on Twitter at Leadtail or our guest at C. Elwood. If you want to see the full video interview series, you can find this episode and more at LeadtailTV.com. Please make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Have ideas for the show? Do you know someone who would be great to be a guest? Drop us a line at studios at Thanks.